So last week, Mitch introduced the idea of examining this time, which begins on Ash Wednesday this week, the time of Lent. And while we don't officially recognize a church calendar in this, in this church, Mitch thought it would be a good idea for Elise to examine some of the themes and ideas that are derived from this season of Lent as it leads up 40 days until Easter weekend. So he, um, last week, introduced the idea that overall this should be a time where we are returning to God. And he uh, looked at verses last week that uh, talked to us about the idols in our lives that we can chase after. And turning away from those idols that we see in our lives and, and returning back to God. So this week, I'd like to talk about the idea of the wilderness. And yes, while this is technically a sermon type of thing, Mitch said I could make it more of a devotional. So um, you're going to have to forgive me a little bit because it's going to be a little bit more looser than an actual expository of scripture, line by line kind of thing. I spent more time just kind of reflecting about the ideas of what a wilderness is and its meaning and what it can uh, derive in terms of uh, association with Lent also during this time here. So before we begin, let's just open with a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you will guide our hearts and minds into your word this morning. May it be your word, Father, that reaches into our lives, that it will have our work in us, that by your spirit there will be a understanding and a leading into all truth. So may your time, may our time together, Father, be an understanding of your presence and give us uh, the breadth of mind and understanding to um, examine your word this morning. In your name, amen. So I don't know what you think about when you think about the word wilderness, but I think it's a situation or a landscape where many of us probably have not had the opportunity to enter into. Although I shouldn't be so hasty to say that. Do you, how many of you here would feel like they have gone into an area of what they would think of as a wilderness? Kind of, sort of. What was the wilderness? Well, Arizona, we camped in Arizona in the desert. That's a wilderness. Yeah, okay. And uh, I have a chance personally to go to the Dead Sea area, very wilderness there. Okay. Drive me off on a back road in Wisconsin, I'm in the wilderness. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty much the whole state coming. More or less. <laughs> Jonathan, have you kind of hunted or anything like that? Uh, I, no, nothing that I would consider wilderness. Okay. But other people might, I suppose. Okay. Say the sand hills of Nebraska look like a wilderness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there is just hill after hill. No people. No people. Just wow. cows. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, snowmobiling in the Teton wilderness. Oh, there you go. Just the body of your mind and eye. And one of the only ones up there. Okay. So really, so really, uh, we have kind of an idea of what a wilderness is, and there might be different ways that we would describe it. For me personally, I too was in Arizona, New Mexico area, for a short-term mission, and we were at a church that was 
way out in the middle of nowhere. And this was uh, near the Monument Valley area of Arizona, New Mexico. So you had this church building surrounded by open space of desert and rocks and and it was dry and it was hot and uh, there was just nothing that indicated that there was anything of life that was out in those surroundings. But the verses that we looked at this morning talk about or indicate something about wilderness. And if we are to look at the experiences of people in the Bible, wilderness was very much a part of their lives. There was much more of an immediate context that they were able to relate to. Bobby, we're in Israel, and, and therefore there's wilderness areas which are pretty close by and surrounding where people live during those times. So when the passages that we look at uh, the readers back then would understand, oh, this is what a wilderness is because they had a first-hand knowledge and experience with them. So it's going to be kind of hard for us maybe to kind of relate as to what a wilderness is like or actually experiencing it so we can enter into it. But I'm hoping that as um, I kind of have reflected on the idea of wilderness that maybe there will be some things about its descriptive ways or the nature of wilderness that we can enter into and relate to and get a little bit more of a fuller context as to exactly what is it about a wilderness that is important in these two in these two verses. And what I'd like to start off with is back in our verses in um, Deuteronomy. These are Deuteronomy is a time when uh, the nation of Israel had already passed through the wilderness and they're on the verge of entering into the promised land. And during this time, as they are awaiting the actual time when they would go in, um, Moses is reviewing with these people, again, what God's commandments and, and um, uh, desires and commandments are to be reminded of them before they go back in, before they enter into the land. And um, the, the idea of, uh, or main idea of these verses is, is that uh, you are not to forget God. There's a lot of exhortation within all of these verses that it's like, remember your God. Remember your God. Remember your God. So when he, uh, when um, the Lord is, is um, describing the wilderness to the people, he's, he's using it as a contrast to what, um, what they will be entering into. Because they are going to be going into a land of plenty. This is going to be a land which is going to be bountiful in water and in food and in housing and everything else that God will provide for them. And yet, God wants to take their minds back to when they were going through the wilderness and what was happening during that time. And it seems like a very strange kind of way to remind these people of you're going into all of this bounty, but I want you also to remember when you were in dire straits and when you were not receiving a lot of plentiful things back then. And so as we look at these verses, God, uh, there's a, a very vivid description of what the wilderness was like that they had just been brought into or, or led out of. And we find that in um, verses 14, or sorry, verse 15, where it says, who led you through, this is talking about God, God who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness 
with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. So in a way, this, this environment is described as something which was overwhelming. It was great. It was massive. It's something that encompassed even all of these millions of people who were walking through it. The context was greater than their numbers. But there was also terror-inducing and dangerous because there was serpents and there were scorpions that if they were encountering those, then they would be bitten by those, by those animals. And it also talks about the, the thirsty ground. So in other words, that anything that would fall on that land would be absorbed by the ground itself. So in and of itself, there was nothing that this environment could provide for the people except for danger and terror and a lack of necessities. So when, when God is describing this kind of situation that these people have been uh, led through, there are three things that he wanted them to be reminded of. One of those was that his presence mattered. Throughout these verses it says, Do not forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness. Don't forget the fact that I was present with you. I was leading you through this environment. I was taking you through that. And it seems like a very strange way for God to be uh, actually taking people into this. It was almost kind of like deliberate in a way. And in some ways, if we were to read, it, read through Exodus and that, we would understand that, well, it was also a punishment because they initially disbelieved God and turned away from him. So as a consequence, they were left to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But God wants them to first of all remember that it was I who was leading you through this wilderness. And he says that even in this environment where there was no water, I brought you water out of the flinty rock. And I fed you with manna that your fathers did not know. So even though you're in this place where you are in danger for your life, I still provided for you. I gave you what was needed. So his presence mattered. Their very existence depended on the fact that God was with them. He also, was, he also wanted to let them know that he was doing this because, as he says in, in verse 16, that he might humble you and test you which is an interesting thing to say because humbled you is, um, is a way that we kind of almost think of it as like being humiliated. It's like and a thing about being shamed. I want, to, I want to bring shame upon you. And that's not the way that he's addressing it this way, in this manner. Humbling means more like, I want you to forget, and I don't want you to forget that you have limits. There's limits to what your power and your abilities and your physical abilities have. You can only go so far in being able to uh, depend on your own strength and your own wisdom. So I wanted to bring you down to a degree of need and necessity in order for you to discover and find out, hey, I can only do so much. There was then within that, then it's like, okay, if I can't do this, then where do I turn? Who do I turn to? What do I do? So the overall idea, don't forget that I was with you, but also I wanted to bring you down to a situation where, look, you, ha can, you can only depend on yourself for so far. You have to look to me to provide for what, is, um, for what your needs are. 
And then he also says, I, I, don't, I don't forget to obey. That, um, I'm sorry, that uh, he humbled you and that he, uh, and he also wanted to test them. Test them, which if we were looking at verses uh, uh, earlier in, in chapter 8, uh, it expands on that idea. He says, he brought them into the wilderness in order to test them where their hearts were at. What was in your hearts? So it wasn't, only necessi- it wasn't necessarily just a matter of, okay, here's something physical that you are discovering your needs in. But I also wanted you to look at your hearts. And I also wanted me to, to get into where your heart is at for you to see that there are deeper needs that also have to be met. And the, f- the physical needs in that describe also the context of a spiritual need that you would have to have. And the way that you are to be provided for in those spiritual needs is for your obedience. You need to depend on me. You need to follow what I'm saying because I'm saying these things for your own good and for your own benefit. And he gives a warning. God gives a warning in these latter part of verses. It said, well, now, if you, if you don't remember these kinds of things, I'm going to give you a warning. That if you say in your heart, okay, so if you are going to depend on your own powers, he, he's, he's projecting out, um, as they look at entering the promised land, he says, okay, so when you are going to get settled, and you're going to build up all these houses, and your wealth is going to increase, and food is going to increase, and you're going to lack for nothing, well, you possibly could forget me then. And you could revert back to the idea that, I did all of this. This is my work that I was able to establish myself in this and God can become out of the picture. So he says, no, don't forget that. Down to the very least of the the needs that you have, I need to be present. I need to be in your lives. And if that doesn't happen, if you don't follow my way, if you don't obey, well then, just like you're out in the wilderness and that environment doesn't provide you with anything and you run the risk of perishing, just in like ways that you have the possibility of perishing, not only physically, but also spiritually. <laughs> your life could be, um, your life could perish. So the, the wilderness environment, at least as God described it, is one of, of great danger, one that's intimidating, and again, so nothing that in and of itself can provide us anything of benefit. And so it is in that environment that God is reminding the people that you need to f- not forget me. I am the one who truly provides in a deep level and in a deep way in order to bring the true satisfaction and, the, and to satisfy the needs that you really are facing. So... If we were to transfer some of those ideas over for us today, I would have to say, as I thought about it, that we also face wilderness types of experiences. We're not, we're not there in an immediate context. I mean, we're in kind of like the promised land setting that was going to be provided to the people of Israel. We have the houses. We have transportation. We have food, and it's very available. And yet, how often do we take to heart 
the words that God says to us. Don't forget me. Don't leave me out of the picture. Don't un- understand that your limits are, uh, you have limits. You can only go so far in your own knowledge and your own wisdom. Um, so in order to kind of give us a little bit more words to, to think about, um, I want to I jump over to Psalm 107. And you don't have to go there with me because I don't want you reading it. <laughs> I, want, uh, I just want to draw out some different passages within this psalm that I think will help us gather more words that we can apply to get a notion of what does it mean to be in a wilderness. And not just a wilderness physically, but a wilderness spiritually. And Psalm 107 is um, a song of praise to God, and it describes a time when, in the future, he's going to gather his people together, and they are going to be united as a nation, and he's going to rule over them. But he rehearses with them different times in their history that they faced what I would call wilderness experiences. And so I wanted to read a a few of those verses, and from those kind of extract descriptive terms that we might be able to utilize to say, oh, I can identify with that. I can identify, that word can apply to me in order to describe, that kind of feels like a wilderness experience of time that I either have had or that I'm going through right now or that I could anticipate. So here's, here's the um, ways that some of these people experience life that have now been gathered together. And... Uh, Psalm 107 says, um, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Some of the words that I, I thought about when I read these verses was, here were people that were unsettled. Here were people that were lost. Here were people that uh, were hungry and thirsty. Are, those, are any of those terms kind of describing anything within your heart or in your mind that, that feel like, yeah, I'm kind of unsettled. Right now, I kind of am lost in this, in this time of my life. Here's another one. Some of them sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help them. Some of the words that I had thought about in, these, in this case was darkness, that they're near death that there's a sense of being confined and afflicted, and it was because they had been rebellious in their hearts. Another passage that says it. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. These verses are talking about 
people in their foolishness, in their evil, their suffering. They're no longer able to know what is good. And they are near death. And then finally, in later verses, here were other people. They mounted up to... Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. This describes the kind of situation where it's uncontrollable, beyond their resources. They were beyond their wits' end. These were the, the description here is talking about sailors who it was their job to go out onto the, onto the ocean and do business. So they should have been familiar with the water and the way to sail, but this storm that came upon them left them helpless and, and fearful. Their courage was lost, and there was, no, and there was nothing that they could do about it. Kind of depressing, in a way, <laughs> to think about, well, how bad can my life get? Um, and how bad can life be about us? And this psalm is not meant to be a downer. This, this psalm is meant to give us a contrast between the way life can be if we have God, not, if God is not with us, as opposed to, ah, but look what God can do and what God restores us to. So like I said, this is, this is a song of praise. And uh, so the verses then do not leave people in that kind of situation. It also, they all, the verses also talk about deliverance because after every one of these verses that I described, the same verse is applied after each of those situations where it says they were brought to this brink of death, of frustration, of confusion, and at that moment, the verses say, they cried out to God in their troubles. And in the midst of all of those troubles, the focus and who they turned to when everything was helpless and hopeless, they turned to God. They cried out to God. They turned to the one who could truly provide and restore them. And it goes on then in praises afterwards. It says, when they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, he delivered them from their distress. And then the verses after them also talks about he healed them. He led them. He brought them to a home. He calmed the storm. He brought them to a safe harbor. He commanded and, and um, delivered them from their destructive ways because of who he is and because of his steadfast love. So in thinking about some of those words that were presented with, uh, within these verses, are there times and situations in your life right now or in the past where you have been brought to the brink of, at, so to speak, at your wit's end, where there was nothing that you could do. There was nothing that you felt you had resources for or lacked the capacity to be able to do or handle the situation. The verses in, in Deuteronomy <coughs> encourage us then also not only to don't forget the forget God and what he provides and how he provides for us, but 
in verses in, one, in 107, um, talks about that we, <clears throat> excuse me, that we cry out to God in those times. That when we are brought that low, that this is where yeah, the opportunity for God to enter in then and to help and direct us. It is only God then who works in our hearts and in our souls and in our minds in order to satisfy us on a deeper level. In Deuteronomy also, he, um, he indicates his work of good towards us in verse 17, or verse 16, I'm sorry. After he talks about being led through the wilderness, he says that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. So it's not God's plan to leave us out in a wilderness, either of our own making or of things beyond our control, that that would be uh, abandoning us. God does not abandon us in those situations. God is at hand, and God is desiring us to look to him and remember him in those times of our greatest needs. So even though in Lent we are not a church that practices it regularly, Lent is um, based on Jesus' experiences in the wilderness that he had. He was driven out into the wilderness to be tested also. But his testing was in a different way. His testing was in order to prove that he was actually the Son of God and that he was the Messiah. It was a preparation for his ministry so that it affirmed that he is the one who has been sent by God in order to bring salvation into the world and to lead his people out of, out of sinfulness. But it occurred in a wilderness. And some of the things that uh, over the years have happened at Lent, we talked about last week briefly, that when we think of Lent, we mostly think of, oh, what are we going to give up for Lent? What is it that we are going to be able to just set aside and be able to concentrate on God? I think that that's, that's good. It gives an affirmation of, of uh, a way that we can uh, allow ourselves to think about how it's really God who provides for us. But I would like to offer the idea that, that we don't have to make that uh, an old, a once a year type of opportunity. That there are wilderness experiences that we go through very often. Or there's a wilderness experience that has been lasting for a long time. We don't know how long uh, our time in the wilderness can last. For Jesus, it lasts for 40 days. For the people of Israel, it lasted for 40 years. What is important is, is that during those times that we are at our wits end, that it is God that we are seeking, it is God who we are looking towards, it is God who is the true provider of all that we need, uh, even down deep into us. And it is also a time when we uh, should recognize the lack that we have in our own lives, that um, the only one who can provide us with what we truly need is, is God. Those are some of the reflections that I had. I know it's a little bit shorter than what, than what a normal sermon would be, but uh, it's my hope that uh, there is something within this that uh, um, as you think about a wilderness, if there's a wilderness time that you're experiencing right now, physical need, spiritual need, that uh, 
you are encouraged to uh, cry out to the Lord, that you recognize that it is only God who can provide for us in our, in our deep needs. So, so let's, let's pray together. Father, may we accept uh, the truth of who you are as a provider, of your love for us, that we will grow ever more dependent on you, that in the ways that we seek to do things our own way, Father, that you will draw us back to you and help us to be relying more on you and trusting you more. And may, Father, we uh, indicate that dependence by being obedient to your word and your commands because in them we find life. And may we uh, walk in that life with joy and with gladness. In Jesus' name, amen.